1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Keith Duffy. Keith Duffy of Boyzone, Keith Duffy now of Boy's Life and of, of Coronation Street, I've done a good 10-year stint on the street. Um, we have a lovely chat today. He's about to release a record um, with Boy's Life, which is him and Brian McFadden of Westlife. See what they've done there, Boy's Life. Um, he's a real down-to-earth lovely chap, and we have a, we have a real good now. He talks about some real moments that... I guess only somebody that was as, as famous as a, you know, as somebody in a boy band in the nineties could experience. We, you know, we talk about big influences, uh, on his career and getting to meet those people. Um, we find out a little bit about how the fact he never wanted to be in a boy band. Uh, he, he wanted to be in a band, but in a very different way, we, we talk about that. Um, and I won't say too much more cause I'm, you know, I want you to enjoy the podcast. So, so no spoilers peeps. Um, before we do anything, a few thank yous. Um, thanks to fed for organizing this. Thanks to scrub Pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network. Uh, huge thanks, um, to 76 for producing this podcast biggest thanks as ever go to you lot for continuing always to support this podcast and yeah give it the time give it a listen um and yeah it just it it means so much because i just disappear up the end of my garden sit in my little shed and uh and just get to chat to to the most amazing people that have these incredible stories and experiences and and have lived lives that I guess lots of us kind of fantasize about and you know, lots of us wanted to oh, I wanted to be a rock star. Of course I also did. You know, I've done the band thing for years and it didn't work for me, but you know, you there's so many people that you know, getting that snapshot into people's lives that have, you know, had big fame and success, it's 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 always fascinating. You certainly get that on today's um podcast. So yeah, massive thanks to you lot for supporting. Uh, this podcast and, and enabling me to be able to approach these people with a big listenership and go, would you like to come on? And uh, and if it wasn't for that listenership, the conversations that I've been having would not have happened. So uh, the biggest love always goes to you lot. Um, if you'd like to support this podcast in any other way, there's a few ways you can do that. Patreon, that's the, the, the best one. You can go over there and for a um, dollar a month, 79p a month you get access to hundreds of never released episodes radio shows all the video episodes you can watch all the episodes over on patreon and it'll cost you less than a quid um, a month uh, and yet yeah, that quid just goes in the pot to help kind of cover the expenses of, of production and putting this stuff together also a really easy way would just be to to go on the socials give us a like a love a retweet a share drop us a message let us know you'd like to hear me chat to, if, uh, if there's guests out there that you think could be a, a, a really good natter, let me know, you know, come by, say hi. Um, and I think that's it really, you can subscribe, that's always good, subscribe on, on whatever platform you listen to, if there's an opportunity to leave a review, always leave us a review, that always helps. Um, yeah, it just, I don't really understand algorithms and stuff, but um, I believe all of that helps, and so if it means that more people get to discover the pod and enjoy it, then that's what it's there for. Anyway, I know that why you're here, and it's for this. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track podcast with Keith Duffy. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The cacao bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. and I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat but yeah in the coming months there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us to win bottles of stuff there's loads of exciting things coming soon and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat alright let's get back to the podcast it's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network, with me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Joining me today, Keith Duffy. Hello. Hello, how's it going? It's well all right, mate. It's well all right. How's today been? A busy day of promo?
0: Yeah, yeah, you know what, it's exciting. It's, 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 promo can be a pain in the ass, man, you know, uh, long days, photo shoots, radio, TV. But when you're promoting something that you're passionate about, when something that you're proud of, uh, you never get fed up talking about it you know and the album has literally just turned out better than we could ever expect man it's brilliant we, we love it
1: how, how was the kind of process of putting something together was that something that that happened during the kind of sort of the lockdown and, and also as a sort of second question to that keith like how, how did you how did you find lockdown like personally and, and creatively
0: Okay, so, you know, I, I've always been based in Dublin in Ireland, and most of my career has been based out of London in the UK. Um, obviously, when we're touring, it's around the world, from Australia to Denmark and from Sri Lanka to Dubai. Um, uh, but Dublin's always been my base, and, and I was a father very young, you know. I, I had my son when I was only 20. Uh, he's, he's 26 next month, by the way. Um, and my family base was Dublin, so... Um, I, I spent a great deal of time away from my family, you know, right through the nineties and and then into the, into 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 the, the noughties, and I ended up living in Manchester then because I was in I did Coronation Street on and off for ten years, and um, so I've always spent a great deal of time away from my family. Now to make up for that, whenever I had time off, I always made sure that you know we went on really nice family holidays. So that, you know, when the kids grew up, they wouldn't remember the fact that daddy wasn't always there. They would remember the great holidays they had and the times that we expressed and and experienced together on holidays in different parts of the world. That's why I try in my mind. That's what kind of, I I made it up to them that that way, you know. Um, So lockdown, for, for us, it was the 16th of March, 2020. We had played a gig on the Sunday. We traveled up to Manchester on the 16th of March, which was a Monday. St. Patrick's Day is the 17th of March, which was the Tuesday when we were supposed to be playing Huddersfield. We were on tour at the time. We were 24 shows into the tour. And I remember on the Monday at five o'clock, I just checked into the hotel in Manchester and Boris Johnson addressed the nation for the first time about the the pandemic at five o'clock. And he he had no real kind of points to make. I mean, it was a joke. He said, you know, public gatherings go, but don't go. You know, we might send emergency services, but we might not. You know, and it was just all very open the air. And at that time in Ireland, it was already in lockdown. So the UK, we're, we're, we're after Ireland with the whole lockdown scenario. So my buddies in the music business in Ireland were telling me you shouldn't be posting these shots from you live on stage because everybody's in lockdown in Ireland and it doesn't look right. And I go, well, I'm in the UK and everything is, is, is going on as usual. So I said, of course, I'm going to post um, but it was that night then I rang Brian and I said look Brian this looks like this is going to get pretty serious and um, we've a lot of we, you know we've, we've our, our band on stage we've got the fans in the audience we've got our crew backstage you know if this is as bad as people are saying it is we need to make sure that we're protecting everybody you know we don't want to be the cause of anybody sure. getting ill or sick or whatever so we rang our management and we made an executive decision to, to postpone the next eight shows to see where that gets us to see what happens so I got a ten o'clock flight that night from Manchester back home to Dublin, unexpectedly, obviously, and uh, and I, I, I was stuck at home for over eighteen months. <laughs> it's weird.
1: I, I'll take it at that time. You thought, oh, in a couple of weeks we'll get this back on the road, right?
0: we'll be back on the road. So getting to go back home for the first two or three weeks, it was difficult. I have a like I said, of I a grown-up son, my daughter's twenty-one. You know, they have their own life, their own routine in the house. You know, I come in, I'm kind of like a novelty because I get home maybe three or four days every two weeks, you know, and they kind of, I'm a novelty for those days that I'm home. And then they go back to their routine again. My son is kind of like the man of the house. And all of a sudden I'm home and I'm not going anywhere. So it was difficult to settle in for the first few weeks. And we had to find how we were with each other. And it could have went either way. But I have to say, and I'm happy to say, it's it was one of the best times I've ever had in my life to get that undivided time yeah, with my family that I never would have had, that I never would have taken that kind of time off work to get that undivided time with the people that you love, that the, the love, the unconditional love that you have for your family. You know, you know, it, it was just it was a great, great time. And we're so much stronger as a family now than we than, I mean, I thought we were close anyway, you know, because we, we you know we have a good family bond. But what COVID gave to us, I know some so many shitty things happened through COVID. Listen, man, I lost my dad a couple of weeks ago to COVID and, and my heart is broken. So, I mean, I've been affected just like everybody else. But the good, the good silver lining of that cloud was that I, I got to spend so much quality time with my family. We, we became even closer than I thought we could. And now when I'm back on the road with Brian and we're out doing promo like today... You know, I I have this warmth in my heart, and I know that my family are there and and, and they're okay, and 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 we're, we're good. You know, so I think a lot of families experience that. A lot of families got the opportunity to spend time with people they love that they wouldn't ordinarily get to spend that amount of time with. You know,
1: absolutely, absolutely, and the, and the nature of this podcast, I speak to so many, you know, working actors and musicians all the time, and and they've all pretty much like for like. You said, look, we had no choice, and and it was just a. You know, and almost you know taking nothing away from the, the severity of what has happened. Like, but we never get to put the brakes on and spend that sort of time with our families. And they've they've all literally echoed what you've said, Keith. And it is just like, well, look, this is the world's stopped turning for a while. Let's let's make the best of it that we can. And I think we've all had to do that in whatever way, shape, or form. You know, when it's thrust upon you that you're not allowed out, it's like right. Well, let's. Let's enjoy what we've got. And I think that's been yep. definitely a positive that's come out of uh, you know, a shitty time. Well, let's talk more, more positively about uh, the things that are, are always an absolute joy, and that's music. And, and Keith, I want you to tell me, please, we're going to start your playlist now. For track one, what do you think is the song with the greatest ever intro? Um,
0: well, it's a very difficult question, man, because I'm a huge lover of music. Um so I kind of decided on, on this note to kind of go when I when I hear the start of the song on the radio or if it comes on a playlist, it just brings me back to a time of happiness, you know, no mortgages, no bills. Yeah uh, <laughs> the life as a teenager going to a disco having a slow dance having an old kiss or a snog with some girl that you fancy and just the, the intro of this song brings that memory back to me you know it's amazing how a song can transport you back to a place to a smell to you know to, to, to a positive place uh, and a memory um, and the song that does that for me was the Water Waterboys um, I, I Saw
1: the whole of the Moon oh what a tune! What a tune. I'll tell you what, Keith, if you get a chance, I only heard it about two weeks ago. The killers covered it um, at like, a big festival. Oh, and they knocked it no out of way. the park have as to well. Look that yeah, it's an absolute blinder. That's an incredible record, Hole of the Moon. No one's ever chose that. On, I've done 370 episodes of this now, and no one's ever mentioned the Water Boy. So that's a welcome uh, addition like that, to like that. Uh, to I mean, the I
0: could have been very predictable and said, sweet child of mine or something like that, yeah. you know? <laughs> that's what brian mcfan said he's sitting beside me how many times did you get to each other the mine
1: uh we've had it four times
0: <laughs> it smells like teen spirit in the van.
1: teen spirit has happened I, I had butch vigon who produced teen spirit and even he chose teen spirit
0: like. <laughs> ah, very good
1: um so in regards to, to, to songwriting, I've seen you've been working with on, on, on the new record, um, and, and certainly intros comes into this, this question. Like how much, like when, you know, when you and Brian was doing sort of Westlife and Boyzone, you know, back in, in, in the day, the way that young people were consuming their music is far different to how people are consuming music now. You know, we live in a, a very fast-moving kind of environment now where where kids thumbs are swiping so rapidly now and they get their music like with with that in mind like when you're creating music and you know you obviously want to get that music heard by as many people as possible where do you draw the line in and how much attention do you pay to trends on like getting you know that song started straight away, like like chopping all the fat off it. Do you, you know, getting on these Spotify playlists and getting on TikTok or, you know, do you try to, how do you get that balance right of not compromising the song in the uh, and the art? Honestly, and, honestly. Do you know what honestly, I mean?
0: We're, we're, we're from a different era, man. So a lot of that stuff we don't even understand. <laughs> we, rely a great deal, we rely a great deal on our management team and, you know, our social media team to do that for us because, you know, I mean, I have to get my kids to show me how, to send emails sometimes, man. And I'm, I'm completely computer literate. You know, I've never had a Facebook account. Um, I know boys life does, but I personally have never had a Facebook account. Yeah. I have got an Instagram account and I have a Twitter account. Um, I, I could barely use them. I kind of I know how to get, get, navigate myself through them. Um, but the whole social, TikTok, I've no idea. Yeah. So we really, really have to rely on, on a young management team that we have to be able to keep us up on point with all that stuff. You know, we, we do what we love to do, which is, which is sing and perform the songs that we love, you know, and... Yeah. Um, Boys Life, Brian and I, we started off doing the hits of Boys on a Westlife. I mean, we've yeah. over 20 UK number one songs between us. So it's easy putting a set list together. Yeah. But obviously, you love look for music. Brian is a singer and a songwriter. You know, he, he can't be just locked up in a room and told to perform Boys on a Westlife songs. He has to have the creativity, the ability to be able to lose his mind with a guitar and a piano and go out and create new, new sounds and new music. And and he's decided to to kind of share that with me. And, and, and we've decided as Boys Life to share it with, with, with the people. So, you know, with the writing of this album, we, we knew we wanted to find a sound of Boys Life that wasn't Brian McFadden, that wasn't West Life, that wasn't Boys Own, a Boys Life's own sound. we a huge, we, the, the 80s and the 90s, were a huge. early 90s and, and 80s were a huge influence on both Brian and I. You know, not not even ballads, but those power songs like Bon Jovi and Brian Adams and White and Poison, and you know, grown men with perms at the time were rock stars. You know, really, they were the boy bands of the day. You know what I mean? But they had a much kind of a harder image, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But you, we thought it was a hard image until we look back now. We're going, what kind of man grows his hair long and dyes it blonde and gets a perm? You know, how did, how did we think that was tough at the time? Um, but it's those big ballads, those guitar solos, the, you know, those moments when you have to slow set with a girl, like I said earlier. Yeah, mate. We wanted to try and recreate and find a sound of our own that had influence from that. And I think we really, we really nailed it. You know, we worked in the studio with a new, young, vibrant producer, Jackson, who um, who was who, who really tried to help us find the sound that we explained to him, the synthesizers, everything, and he did an amazing job. You know, the album really gels well together. It's got that one sound. Every song bleeds to the next song. It's not different genres all mixed up on one album. The, the 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 album has a specific sound, a sound of boys' life. And like you said, you want to get it out there. You want people to hear it. You want you want people to you know you want people's feedback. It's hard to to, to, to not like these songs if you've got a heart. If you've been in love. If you've got dreams, you know it's hard not to like these songs a lot of the music of today the teenagers today the early 20s of today it's rap and reggae or it's dance music it's, it's it's kind of mixed music with a vocalist coming in on top which is lovely but they don't have those songs of the 80s that tell a story about yeah. being in love and having your heart broken and yeah. you know you, you, you think the song was written for you you know and and, and that, that, that was great about growing up. That's what I said earlier on. When you hear those songs like the Waterboys, it brings you back. It transports you back to that moment, that happy time when you had no bills and no mortgage and no wife and no kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Well, no stresses in life. You know?
1: Well, that's, with that in mind, I'm going to take you back then because for track two, I'm going to ask you to tell me uh, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please, Keith.
0: Yeah, um, this was quite an easy one for me because it's a song that, 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 that you know had a huge emotional impact on me for, for various reasons, which I'll tell you. But it's it's Coldplay, Fix You. And um, I have I've, I've a beautiful, beautiful daughter. She's 21. And um, when she was about 18 months old, she was diagnosed with autism. And I didn't even know what autism was, to be honest with you, back then. So I had a great deal of learning to do. And I got stuck into it. And for years and years, I dedicated my life to fundraising to try and get services available for young families like my own. Um, for, for the appropriate education for children with autism. Um, we campaigned. We did all sorts of charity, charitable fundraisers, golfing events. Um, and that song, Fix You, just really at the time, um, I suppose I had an attachment to it with, with the upset that I had trying to come to terms with, with my daughter's diagnosis, a lifelong kind of diagnosis, a lifelong disability, you know, um, and understanding that. And we used that song a great deal when I shot videos with all these boys and girls that were doing really well, that were, were that, you know, we, we got this form of education called ABA stands for Applied Behavioral Analysis. It's a one to one form of education that really seems to be successful with children that are on the spectrum um, children with autism or spiritual syndrome. And as a good feeling video uh, put together, that was the soundtrack we used to use. And a lot of the, 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 the a lot of the videos are very They're very positive, but they're emotional. You know, they, they bring a tear to your eye, and uh, and that song I associate with, with with the successes of these kids. My daughter was non-verbal until she was seven years of age, and when she started talking, in her first few words, I remember that song. So it's a song that brings a tear to my eye, but a smile to my face as well.
1: And and just what you know, why, why you mention that, Keith? If, if you know, we have a varied listenership on this podcast, and if anybody happens to be in a situation where they're having, you know, thoughts as to, you know, what's going on within members of their family and should there be, you know, how far on that spectrum are their children? What charities would you suggest are worth exploring, you know, should this, what you've just said, sort of strike a chord with anyone?
0: Okay, well, the most important thing in in any family with a child that might be on the spectrum or you think the child might be on the spectrum is, number one, keep the child happy as you can. Try and keep a smile on the child's face, first and foremost, because, you know, you, you could go crazy making phone calls, ringing around, getting on Google and, and trying to find out information. And a lot of the time it can just feel like it's, it's, it's doom and gloom. The, the, the good part is there are people out there that can help. You know, um, there's there's various autism charities in the UK. Uh, I I've worked with a lot of them. Um, there's a charity in Ireland called As I Am, and, and the website is asiam.ie, ie, um, and and I work with them, and they've just set up helplines for families that might be worried about their children, and and they can yeah, they can ring that number and, and get the advice they need. And um, I think I think the most important thing always though is is to have an assessment done if you're concerned about your child that they're not performing the way that you think they should, and there might be some sort of a kind of, uh, you know, an issue or a problem, um, well then seek professional help, you know, go to your your local GP, get him to then um, send you on to a specialist and have a diagnosis done, have an assessment done so you know what you're dealing with. You can't become a name on a list, you can't become a statistic if you don't have a diagnosis. So first things first is get a diagnosis, get an assessment done and know what you're dealing with. And then, and then from there, there are various um, uh, various different charities that, that are, are there to help you, um, and it's all online. You can get it all online. Okay,
1: going to stay in the formative years for track three, Keith, and I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please.
0: Okay, so <laughs> there was a, there was a disco back in Dublin when I was about fourteen or fifteen, and it was called the Grove and it was in a school called St. Paul's in, in, a, in Clontarf in Dublin. And it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like a rocker's disco, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, it was just a, it was just a, it was, on, it was an under-18s disco, obviously, you know, there'd no alcohol or nothing like that. Um, but we, we, the, the, you'd always have the rock ver, you'd have the you'd have rock sets where you'd be moshing, mush, and everybody would just be Jumping, in, jumping up and down and banging off each other in the mosh pit. But the song that made everybody go crazy, and I'll never forget it, was Ram Jam, Black Betty. Uh, and it brings back great memories of Moshing, you know?
1: <laughs> well, let, let's just chat about school. Was that something, if you look back now, have you got fond memories of school? No.
0: No. I hated school. I absolutely hated school. There were a few years of school that I really enjoyed, but but, but on the whole, I, I, I didn't like school, you know? Um Primary school wasn't too bad. I kind of liked that. Uh, you know, I had some good buddies in school. Friends, I still have friends to this day from when I was four years of age. Um, I, I saw a couple of them recently, actually. You know, I saw I saw quite a few old friends recently because, as I said, my, my yeah. poor old dad passed away. So a lot, a lot of old friends turned up at the funeral. And it was great to see some familiar faces there. Um, secondary school for me, from the age of, I think it was 50. 50 is that secondary school when you're 15 or 13? Yeah. Is it 13? Yeah. Um, so the first three years of, of secondary school um I, I, I went to a school that wasn't in the neighborhood where I grew up it was in a different place and um, you know my mom and dad had the best of intentions to get me a good education and um, I was more into sport I played a lot of Gaelic football and a, a Gaelic a game called hurling which is a very full contact sport it's kind of like Gaelic football with weapons it's a tough sport, and you got to get you got to get stuck in. But my home team was a team called Trinity Gales. Um, but where I went to school, their, their their team was called Saint Vincent's, and they would be big rivals of where I come from. And and the area I come from probably um, was was a little poorer, let's say, than Saint Vincent's. So it, it would be fair to say I got kind of bullied in school for, uh, from the ages of 13, 15, 13 to fifteen to sixteen. And not mean physically because. I was involved in contact sports. I was fine with that, but it was, it was mental torture. It was mental bullying. It was, it was always being um, casted away from, from, from the main group people. You know, I was casted aside. I wasn't involved. Um, I wasn't involved in a lot of stuff, um, and I felt that, you know, and, and that's a kind of a mental uh, torture, a mental bullying that stayed with me for years. That made me doubt myself for a long, long time. You know, for years and years after, it had, had an adverse effect on me. Um, it made me insecure. And, um, and and then I left that school because of that. I said to my dad, look, I'm not liked there. Um, you know, I, I'm bullied. The, the, you know, they, they, there was lies spread against me in that school that upset me. You know, uh, um, just, just childish stuff, to be honest. But it has an effect on you when you're a kid and you're trying to find who you are when you're going through adolescence and you're growing up. And so I I left that school and I went and I I did my leaving scare, what we call the leaving scares. I think it's like your A-levels in the UK. I went to another school and I met a whole new bunch of guys. And they were all from different areas. And I had the best two years of my life in that school. But I mean it was the best of years of my life, but it wasn't because of the school. The guys who went to school were great fun. And to be honest, if, it, if the sun was shining, we'd walk straight by the front door of the school, down to the pool hall or down to the park. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, academically, I didn't kind of get involved too much at school. I kind of regret that now, um, you know, because I would have liked it to be a bit better read going into the business. Um, but, you know, I think I've caught up on whatever academics I was short of. I think I've caught up on them by now um, through, through life experience and reading and whatever. Um, yeah, but I suppose, like I say, those three years uh, in, in a Christian Brothers school in Dublin was possibly the worst three years of my schooling life.
1: What What was you thinking? What did you want to be when you was at school?
0: Um, I, I don't really know, man. I, I kind of I loved entertaining. I loved being an extrovert. I loved doing amateur dramatics. I loved being on stage. Um, Were you confident in that?
1: Program. Sorry, was you confident in that?
0: I was confident in that. I, I played mar- I played the side drum in a marching band, and uh, and I loved the kit. I, loved, I had a kit I had a kit at home. I I worked through the summer one year and I had to pay emergency tax on the money I earned. And at the end of the summer, you got your emergency tax back. I think it was about five or six hundred quid, which is a huge amount of money. Yeah. for like a, a fifteen sixteen year old. And I bought a second hand pearl export kit with zildjian cymbals. And um, we, we like, we lived in a small little kind of semi-detached house and uh, out the back I had one of these kind of wooden garden sheds and I put um, egg cartons all around it to soundproof it and I, I had no electricity or nothing and I stuck in my drum kit and you'd open the garden shed, I'd have to climb under the floor, Tom, to, to get up <laughs> onto, my, uh, onto my seat and I had candles on both sides that I'd like because there's no electricity and I'd go in to practice about three or four in the afternoon when I got home from school. I'd have three sweatshirts on because it was freezing. Um, but once I was into the third or fourth song, I'd be down to the bare chest and sweating, you know?
1: love
0: um, it. I loved the drums. I, I never wanted to be in a boy band. I have yeah. to say that. It was never something I wanted to be. What, what I wanted to be was a drummer in a rock band. I, I didn't want the squeaky clean image. I, I wanted the sex
1: and the drugs and the rock and roll, you know? <laughs> You wanted to go full Tommy Lee. Absolutely. Right, okay. We're going to stay for one more in the formative years. Okay, if I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please, mate.
0: Okay. I got a gift voucher for Christmas off my godmother for Abbey Discs, which was a record store in Dublin. It was on on Abbey Street. It was called Abbey Discs in the city centre. It was like Golden Discs or HMV or one of those places. But I got a gift voucher off my godmother, my auntie, and I went into Abbey Discs and I bought myself... Um, Every Rose Has the thorn,
1: Poison.
0: Nice. That was my first single.
1: (laughs) Oh, and that's pretty cool. Normally they're well embarrassing. That ain't too bad, that one. That's a a good rock ballad, right? Yeah, I love it, man. I love all that stuff. I mean, the way that you just said that, he's saying that I find really interesting about records and that probably in the digital age you don't get anymore. The fact that you, I asked you what was the first record you bought and not only did you tell me what it was you told me where you got the money for it and where exactly you got it there's a journey and, and a memory attached to that and I do think that that's one thing that is lost in the digital age I know we're seeing vinyl maker a, a return I don't want to sound like an old bastard even go oh well you know it was better in the back in the day but I do think there is something nice about that kind of attachment of a journey and, and having something tangible in your hand. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, my, my dad, and I'll keep referring to my dad, but my dad was a great musician. He, was, he played the accordion, he played piano, he played guitar. He was a great singer. Um, and he had a, his whole uh, album collection at home in, in, in his room, in, in his house, and he had it all alphabetically lined up, his LPs, you know, his cassette tapes to this day, and, um, and obviously CDs. You know, and he's got he's got everything from a all, he's got these shelving units in, in his front room in his home. And he's got all his music collection there. And there's something about that, you know. And yeah, um, I remember even being in boys home. And what I would do is I would treat myself going through going through duty free on the way home to Dublin because I based myself in Dublin. And, and as I said, because because my daughter was getting the education that she needed in Dublin that she wouldn't have got it anywhere else. I, all the other labs ended up moving to London To make it more convenient for their work, for their families I had to stay in Ireland Because it was important for my, my daughter's future To stay there, so it was difficult for me I had to do a lot of travel I had to fly in and out of Ireland like Twice, three times a week um, But I used to treat myself And uh, always go into the record store in the, in, in, in the duty-free Which isn't there anymore There's no record stores in duty-free anymore yeah. I used to be the, the busiest shop in duty-free And I'd buy myself two or three CDs To to add to my music collection, you know, and I used to have it in my head that by the time I get to a certain age, I'm going to have this fantastic big music collection, all shelved, alphabetically, like my dad, all alphabetically set up. And then it came to the point when all this streaming uh, and online stuff start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you kind of realize now it's obsolete. Yeah. You know, all your records are going to be just on a little phone like this. Oh no, any crazy. any music, any song you want to hear, you just type it into your phone now. Yeah, You know, it's crazy. When we were touring back in the 90s, you used to have a little, little tape deck with the two speakers. Yeah. You know? and when we're having a party in the hotel room at the end of the gig, you know, you put the cassette tape in and you'd, be, and you'd have to, you'd have to listen to the same artist from start to finish. You know? <laughs> yeah. now, now, when you're having a party, you've got the big blue, the Bluetooth speaker going, you got the phone linked up to it and you're going from artist to artist. To yeah. yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Of, whatever you want to hear, whatever request you take from whoever's at the party, you can put the song on, which is brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah. But for the artist who's trying to make a living out of it, it's yeah. very difficult. I mean, ninety percent of the revenue of the music business is gone now. You know, if you want to make money, if you want to pay your bills, you got to sell tickets. You got to perform live. Yeah. That's the way it is.
1: Can you remember the first time you saw a Boys on record in a record shop?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was talking about this earlier on. I remember, I remember the first time hearing Boys on on the radio, and it's like, wow, you know, you're getting into the car and you're on the radio I mean, is that the first sign of success is that what success is yeah um but going into i mean obviously back in those days and um, we would do big um, signing sessions in hmv and virgin whatever and they were crazy the police would come out i remember one time in a place called henry street in dublin it was the biggest signing session that they'd, they'd ever seen there was thousands of kids and it's a pedestrian street so there's thousands of kids outside and there's like 35 foot windows, glass windows. And there was fear that the window was going to come in. Like the window was like bending in and stuff. And it was like, wow, we have to call off the whole signing because somebody's going to get hurt. But walking into the store and just seeing the way the, 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 the merchandising stand that's put up because it's the first day of release of a song or an album. And they've just got, you know, the posters and then all your CDs all, all racked up and, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, at the time it's surreal. At the time, you don't really know how to feel. It's exciting. And uh, looking back on it now, it's a great memory. You know, and the artists of today will never, never understand that. They'll never appreciate that. You know, the big artists of today, like Adele and Ed Sheeran and these kind of guys, back in the '90s, it was so much more exciting. There wasn't the streaming uh, chart. There wasn't the. You know, you didn't have Apple Music. You didn't have Spotify. You didn't have streaming. You, you know, you went to a shop. They had a barcode, it went on the Gallup machine, and every time yeah. you bought a, a single, the Gallup, the Gallup would count. And then you had one chart at the end of the week, you had a show at seven o'clock on Thursday night on BBC One called Top of the Pops, you know? And, and when you went number one, it was brilliant, you were the last person to perform just before EastEnders, and they go, and this week, Top of the Pops is boys on, you know? And, and you know, from growing up in Dublin, watching Top of the Pops, you know, watching the kids in the audience right beside the artist, I remember thinking, imagine being in the audience, being that close to, to your hero or your idol, whoever it was performing at the time. And then kind of, you know, trans, transporting yourself from that memory to standing on the stage and Top of the Pops singing a song. It's quite surreal, you know. And, you know, the chart, there was one chart. There was just one chart. So you knew who Top of the Pops was. You knew who was at the top of the British charts. Yeah. Now it's like the radio charts, the Spotify charts, the download charts, the streaming charts. You don't know where you are. Yeah. And people don't listen to albums anymore. They just pick their favourite songs off the album and listen to their favourite song. Nobody starts an album at the start and listens to it all the way through yeah. anymore. Yeah. You don't have to. They just pick what they want. So, you know, I mean, maybe I sound like an old fart.
1: But no, but, I no, like, you know, yeah, I totally agree. If, you know, to, to, to look at... A Joshua tree, you wouldn't just cherry pick tracks off a of Joshua. That's yeah, meant to be listened to as a body of work, right? right? You're meant to listen to that as a piece of art or as a body of work. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. works it, as a long way. You,
0: really you can press shuffle. You can listen to the whole album, but you can press shuffle so it doesn't play in order. Yeah. An album was put together specifically by the artist because exactly. they wanted to listen to one song after the other. You know, it's a journey, right? If I listen to Joshua Tree now and the songs are mixed up, I go mad. You know what I mean. I know what to expect when it's coming. I know when Sunday Bloody Sundays coming in. I know when the streets of No Name is coming in. I, I you know, I, I know Pride in the Name of Love. I know when that's coming in. You know,
1: one of the things that um, I'm always fascinated by by Top of the Pops because it's it's such a, a an institution. You know, and 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 you saying that you know, you you would just watch it. We'd all religiously watch Top of the Pops week in, week out. It was where you, because you didn't have YouTube. You couldn't see pop stars anywhere. You'd only see them perform on Top of the Pops or on a couple of kids TV shows. So it was this like epicenter of your week would be like, right, I'm going to watch Top of the Pops. Everyone would be talking about it at school the next day. So what I want to ask is you sort of touched upon the surrealness of of, of going on there. And, And I always ask, you know, musicians, this question. And, when you find yourself in the top of the pop studio, like do you, I mean and, and to this day, do you still ever get like you know you 've been hugely successful in everything you 've done, do you ever get or still get imposter syndrome? There are moments where you think, "Fuck, am I here like this is mental. Oh, man, that
0: moment when you have to pinch yourself it 's like a deja vu situation it 's kind of like you know you 're afraid you 're going to wake up and it wasn 't real yeah. you know i mean we do we do class ourselves extremely. Lucky, and and we're very appreciative of what we've experienced. You know the opportunities that, that that have been bestowed upon us. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? For so many years, when when I wasn't in the music business, for the years that we we, we had a break, and I went in to be an actor, and I was in Coronation Street, and I was in the West End doing various things, and I was talking about my music career as as, as a very distant memory. You know, but to to have got all that back again with the reunion of Boyzone, to experience it all over again in 2008, 2009, you know, up until we lost Stephen Gately, God rest him. I mean, it was amazing. All the mates that are friends that I met. Um, post Boyzone in the 90s, explaining to them what I did, you know, for a living, flying over on on, on, um, Pavarotti's private jet to Modena to perform a duet with with Pavarotti, you know, to sing We Are The World with Joe Cocker and Lionel Richie and Gloria Estefan and Ricky Martin, you know. We we were in a band. We did all that. And then it was gone. And it was all a memory. And I never thought we'd ever get it back. I never, I thought I would only ever be talking about memories. But then when Boys Own got back together in 2008 and I got to experience it all over again, this time around, we really appreciated it. Yeah. We kept our eyes wide open. We didn't want to miss it strict. We wanted, we wanted to soak it all up and make sure that we really, really appreciate it this time. Don't take a thing for granted because we're blessed to be given that opportunity. So cut so from that to what Brian and I do now. We started off just doing an autobiographical show where we were trying to tell our fans, small audiences, and we were trying to tell our fans um, what life was like coming from a working class background in Dublin to being catapulted into superstardom, travelling around the world, trying to deal with that, trying to deal with family, trying to understand fame, trying, you know, understanding that your fame just doesn't have an effect on you. Your fame has an effect on your mum and your dad and your brothers, you know, they still live their, their ordinary life back home in Dublin. Well, you're jet-setting all over the place. You know, you're getting the rewards of your, of your work. But other people are paying the penance of it because their, their anonymity is gone. So there's an awful lot of sacrifice for other people when you, when, when you, when you go into this world. Um, and, a, and then for the, per, for the person that's in it, there's so many rewards. Um, and, and you just you don't want to not do it anymore. Yeah. We love what we do. So, for, for what Brian and I have achieved through doing the autobiographical show, and that's organically grown into us being recording artists together. And now, our first self penned album is, is coming out this May. As you know, the first single, Burn For You, was, it was out Friday. So, I mean, we, even when we're not touring, we're gigging all the time, right? And we don't tour.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your
0: travel style with Quinn's. work down we just don't because we love it so we do weddings in 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 indonesia we just got booked to do a wedding no we do bar mitzvahs you know we we do all the we get we get invited to the pga golf and they have these big black tie balls on a thursday night before the before the golf weekend and we get we get invited to perform at at the black tie functions for for the gala for the for the professional golfers in south africa and 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 Dhabi and dubai so we get we get to perform all over the place and we love what we do and every day is different. So to get to our age now, I mean, I'm really 50 now and uh, I'm in a boy band. <laughs>
1: you know, bad, you know? Right. Well, I've got a few more tracks that I want to um, squeeze in. Keith. And for track five, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. And I mean, did you okay. get to club or did you literally uh, like, straight into the band? No, absolutely.
0: Back, back in the early nineties, boys all kind of got together in 93. But from 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, there was a place in Dublin called The Pod, P-O-D, Place of Dance. And it was the first real kind of nightclub. It was like the Ministry of Sound in London. In fact, the guy, God rest his soul, he was actually Boyzone's manager with Louis Walsh, a guy called John Reynolds. Unfortunately, he's passed away since. John Reynolds served his time as the manager of the Ministry of Sound in London. And when he got to know what he got to know, he brought it over to Dublin and he opened up a similar type of vibe in Dublin called The Pod, Place of Dance. And it was the first place that wasn't a disco. It wasn't. It, it, it was a club where you had a DJ mixing sounds and people dancing. People going in their best John Richmond gear. People getting all dressed up, going in. There was a, there was a huge gay community mixing with, with a heterosexual community, and it was the first club in Dublin where, where, where everybody was partying together. There was no violence. There was no fights outside. There, there wasn't a lot of drink taken. You know, there was other things taken in those days. You know, like the Hassie end in Manchester. Yeah. Um, and and I was very much into the club scene when Boyzone was first starting off, and I loved my club nights out. Mostly, against Boyzone, would be gigging, so I'd I miss it. But we, we sometimes we get back to Dublin by two in the morning. And there'd be still a club going on somewhere. So the boys on the boys bus would drop me off in the city centre. And, and I'd been with my missus forever. So wherever she was clubbing, I'd just go and find her. Yeah. And, um, and we'd end up clubbing till five in the morning and then possibly going back to a house party that would probably go on till 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, but I, I loved my clubbing days. And I loved it because it was harmony. There was peace with people. There wasn't any arguments or fights People were all on the same like-minded level and, and, and it was enjoyable. You didn't have to fear for, for trouble. I mean, nowadays, I fear for my son going out. I fear for the kids of today. There's so much trouble on the streets. There's so much violence and, and, and stabbings and stuff that you read in the press is horrendous. I mean, I remember back there, it was tranquil. It was, it was safe, you know? Um, but the song that, that, that brings me back, that shadows me back there, um, it was, it was Tony Debart. If I can't find, if I was it, if I if I if, if I can't have you, yeah. What a tune? What love a tune. And there were so many mixes of that song. Yeah, over the years, you know.
1: Yeah, love it. But I'm going to take you home for track six, Keith. A favourite song from an artist from your home county, please.
0: Well, it has to be you too, doesn't it, man? <laughs> you, you, you too, with or without you.
1: Oh man, what a tune? Watch What an intro.
0: Ah oh, man, honestly, God, I, I I love you too. I'm a huge fan, and you know, it's it's ironic because I, I don't want to be their friends because I I want I want them to be my idol, uh, but we we got to know you too, obviously over the years, and and Bono and the boys were very very good to us. Um, i don't know if you remember the sweetest thing video of course Boys, you're one, in the video aren't you thing video and larry mullen was my hero i told you earlier i was a marching drummer in in, in, in a band and i had me kit larry mullen was my hero i knew yeah. every u2 drum beat every like sunday bloody sunday you know such a, a profound drum beat yeah. you know I, I knew it all i mean that's all i practiced and I know Larry. I know Larry quite well. And and uh, has he uh, aged
1: yet? He hasn't aged in about fifty nah, years. He looks great. He still I'm looks
0: brand 60. new. It's crazy, he man. He's in the <laughs> and He's still the coolest man I know. He looks amazing. <laughs> um, I just did a TV show recently back in Dublin um, with a guy called Dave Fanning, who would be uh, a renowned DJ by all the rock stars. Uh, he he started off due to his career on the radio yeah. and he was a great friend of the band and he has his own show now in Dublin and he asked me to go on and we were talking about you too because they're good friends of him and we were talking about Larry, but it's funny, you know, you, you imagine people in this business that live these kind of jet-setting lifestyles. You you don't realise that, you know, the COVID was something that, that kind of made everybody realize mm. we're all at home, we've all got a fan, we've all got kids. You know, we live an ordinary life, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when COVID, we all, we all were living ordinary lives. At home with our family, we realised what having a garden was like again, you know. Um But Larry texted me, he saw the show. I mean, I was on an Irish station, he saw the show and I, I was bigging him up and he just texted me to go, thanks for your kind words, it never gets old, you know. Uh, just so grounded down to earth, like just a, a, a grounded down to earth superstar, you know.
1: I mean, that's got to be you know a pinch me moment hasn't it Work like meeting you too like being you know growing up listening to a band and then being arguably probably are still the biggest band in the world like what you know what was that first meeting like when you walk in a room and there's like i mean i i I find it unfathomable i'm sure you've been in rooms with some of the most famous people on the planet but walking in the room and there's fucking bono and the edge standing there like and obviously and your favorite drummer like what what, how did that feel
0: any nervousness that you might have you know, they just, they just speak to you like, like me and you are speaking now. So they take away all that that nervous energy that might be in the room. They just, they put you at ease immediately, you know, and then they have a chat and, and they know, they know what you've been doing. You know, they, they, they say things that you can't believe they've seen, you know, you can't believe you know that. Like I, I remember being side stage at a Robbie Williams gig in Slane Castle. Uh, back in Ireland, great venue, super super venue. Um, some of, some of the greatest concerts of all time have been in Slane yeah. Castle. Uh, I think it holds like 150,000 people or something crazy. Yeah. Um, but I remember standing side stage, watching watching Robbie. myself, and Robbie were pals back in the day. And um, I was watching the show, and the Edge uh, was standing. I didn't see him, but he was standing beside me with, with his his girlfriend at the time, and. Uh, he he! I looked around and he said, Hey, Keith." I said, "Hey, how's it going, Dave? Uh, Edge, Edge, how's it going, Edge?" <laughs> and uh, I was kind of, I kind of got tongue and mouth disease. You know what I mean? I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I was, I was starstruck. And there's a lady called Caroline Downey who runs all the big. She's from MCD. They run the biggest shows in Ireland. And, and Caroline actually, she manages Hozier and, and a few other big artists. And I was walking backstage with Caroline. I said, "Hey, Caroline, the the Edge said hello, Keith. He knows my name. He knows Keith." his daughter had your posters all over her wall for years. <laughs> <laughs> of course he knows your name. But you don't, you don't see it like that, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, wonderful. But even still, I mean, having a point at Christmas with Larry, you know, uh, you know, like that moment kicks in and, and you get foot and mouth disease. Honestly, I still kind of get tongue-tied when I'm speaking to them because they're my heroes growing yeah. up, you know?
1: Love it. Right, last track, Keith. I want to ask you to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you want them to hear.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know if I want them to hear it. I, I decided to tell you a song that I'd probably be embarrassed if anybody knew I liked. Oh, okay. The story behind it, but the artist is Bonnie Tyler. Right. <laughs> and the song is I Need a Hero. Oh, change. Right? <laughs> and I'll tell you why, okay. When we were growing up, my, my dad's record collection was out of bounds, okay. You know, he took his music very seriously. And unless you knew how to handle uh, like a vinyl properly, you weren't allowed to touch it. And I had this old mahogany turntable in my bedroom that I shared with my younger brother. And we used to love to listen to music going to sleep at night, but we only had whatever album we could get our hands on. And for quite a while, one summer, and I don't know what summer it was, but my mum my for Christmas got a present of Bonnie Tyler's greatest hits. And it was the album that we used to listen to going to sleep at night. And there was, I Need a Hero, and it was Lost in France, and there was all Bonnie Tyler's hits. But... As a result of that, you know, when I hear Bonnie Tyler and any of her songs coming on the radio, I kind of I kind of sing along and I like them, but I need to hear it always the iconic song, isn't it? So I just thought I'd give you that one.
1: Ah, oh, it's an absolute banger. I was lucky enough to get Bonnie on the podcast last year, and she was, uh, uh, if you want to go partying with someone, I reckon she'd be an absolute crack, mate. I'll tell you, she yeah. was pretty wild, mate. Yeah. And uh, she, yeah. she must
0: be nearly 40 now, is she? <laughs> <laughs>
1: just about i think mate just Just
0: about about. (laughs) and and, and the rest is our own business exactly
1: mate all right well look um as 2022 is looking like a far more connected happy and positive place than what maybe 2020 and 2021 did uh on a kind of global view on that um what are you looking forward to from the rest of this year personally keith and what's going to be happening professionally
0: well, I, I have to say, like I started off, I'm very, very excited about our album, the old school album. You know, Brian and I are, are you know, we're, we're prepared to, to work as hard as we need to work. We, you know, we love what we do. We've got some great gigs coming up. We have a big tour coming up in September. We're touring all the beautiful uh, theatres around the UK, September, October, November. Um, but right now, over the next couple of months, we've got singles coming out off the album. And we're going to, deli- we're going to deliver a present of a free song to our fans. And um, it's a it's a, it's a lovely song it's 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 kind of it's it's me- mental health awareness. And it's okay to ask for help. And it's a song we wrote for the album. And uh, um, we're, we're not releasing it as a single. It's, it's a gift. We're, we're gifting it to our fans. Um, but as we say, we've, we've burnt View, which is the song that's out at the moment. The album is out in May. And between then and now, we're just going to promote the album, try and get it out there, try and try and get our friends in radio to, to, to play the songs. It's, it's not easy to get on radio anymore. It's difficult for us because we're coming from the 90s and, you know, we mightn't be seen to be that cool. So, you know, it's trying to find the right blend, the right radio stations, the right DJs that, that will give us a chance, that will give our music a chance to be heard. Um, I personally think, and I know I'm biased, so i have to wait to see, but I think the songs are absolutely credible, stand-up, great pop songs. And if, if we get airplay, if we get on the radio, I really do believe, you know, we're going to have a very, very bright and busy future.
1: Love it. Love it! I wish you all the best uh, with the record, Keith. It's been a proper joy talking records with you today, mate. Thank you, Thank you so much. much. I really
0: enjoyed myself. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolute pleasure. Cheers, Keith. God bless you, bro. There you go. Uh, is Keith Duffy my first boy bander? I think he may well be the first person to be on this podcast that was in a boy band. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but I think it is. What I mean, I, I didn't want to really drill down into you know, the madness of being in, in a boy band, at, 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 you know, at, at such a young age. Because I'm sure, you know, he's answered them questions so, so many times. So I always try and, you know, sort of skirt around the the stuff that I think they've asked, you know, been asked a lot. So that, the, the kind of nature of the questions of this podcast kind of always seem to hopefully appeal a little bit more than if they're just doing the... The promo campaign of talking about the new record or the new book or the new tv show if you you kind of sort of talk about formative years and records in them formative years it just gets them in nostalgia mode and, and yeah and and it, yeah straight away the minute we got onto you know track two and you start mentioning growing up and stuff like that it's amazing what people come out with and and yeah keith was absolutely lovely what what a top man it was uh mad as he's chatting away to see brian mcfadden floating about in the background and it's like you know, when you think of the size of like Boyzone and Westlife, these were, you know, arguably two of the, I mean, two of the biggest boy bands in, in history. I, I, if I remember rightly, not that I'm a massive one for, for, for stats, but I'm sure Westlife are one of the most successful boy bands of all time, uh, chart-wise. I don't know if uh, the old One Direction lads have have, have have overtook that. I don't know, but um, yeah, what an absolute gent. And uh, so huge thanks to Keith for giving up his time. Massive thanks to you lot, always, for listening. Thanks so much. Um, I'll be back next time. In the meantime, go and explore the back catalogue. 370 episodes, musicians, DJs, producers, actors, comedians. Go have a little looky, see what you find. Um, be excellent to each other, and I'll see you next time. Big love. Bye-bye. <laughs> off the beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping.